Now's a good time to remember where the story of tequila started. In 1795, the first tequila distillery was opened by the Cuervo family. And 229 years later, Cuervo is still going strong. Family owned from the start. Same family, same land. Now's a good time to enjoy Cuervo, the tequila that invented tequila. Go to Cuervo.com to shop tequila or visit a store near you. Cuervo, now's a good time. Trademarks owned by Beckless AB to CV 2024, Proximo, Jersey City, New Jersey. Please drink responsibly. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. San Antonio District Judge resigns after a federal corruption probe. A former San Antonio, Texas judge goes to federal prison after pleading guilty to accepting bribes in exchange for rigging cases in his court. Angus McGinty committed the ultimate judicial sin. Why did you do it? I did it because I was foolish. Listen to How to Bribe a Judge on RevolverPodcast.com, Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, or wherever you get your podcasts. The John Anik and Kenny Florian Podcast. John Anik and Kenny Florian. I fucking love them. I can't get enough of them. Let's hear that boss next. Big jab there from Duffy and Frank Mir is hurt now. There are a couple of absolutely self-involved bullshit artists. Here are your hosts, John Anik and Kenny Florian. Great to be back in the United States of America. It is Monday, November 1st, 2021, episode 323 of the Anik and Florian podcast. We have got so much to do today, Ken Flo. I don't have anything super witty or funny to say off the top, but it's nice to see you, man. Back home in Charlotte there, as I can see. Yes, sir. Yes, sir. Good to see you as well, man. So for these PFL millionaires, so they get a purse leading up to the event. So they clear, well, I guess it's the gross, but that yeah. $1 million a check is just for that night, correct? Yes, that, that that's my understanding, which is which is pretty amazing. We had some great fights uh, on Wednesday night. Uh, you know, the Ray Cooper, Magomed Karamov fight was just ridiculous. Uh, but, you know, the story for me was Bruno Capaloza, a, a Brazilian fighter, uh, you know, was just so dominant all season, was in a war in the championship fight against Ante Delia, one of Krokop's protégés. Yeah. And his father died just three days ago, three days before he competed, and they had to keep it from him. They had to keep it a secret, and he only found out after he got the check and the belt and it was just a wild night. I can't even imagine the roller coaster of emotions that he had to go through that night. Right. But uh, just wild. That was a story that really stuck out. But uh, yeah, it was a great night of fights, man. A great week of fights. Uh, and of course, the, the UFC in Abu Dhabi was just ridiculous. Yeah, 267 was unbelievable. Is it Raush Manfio? Is that his name? No, so how ha- so Raush Manfio fought at 155 pounds. He won. But right. Bruno Capaloza, sorry, it was the heavyweight uh, right. that won and lost his father just a few days before he. He, he competed. Oh, got it. So yeah. I was talking to Pahumpa about Haush, who also yes. is a new millionaire and just incredible, right? A guy yeah. who was an alternate and not even yeah. sort of part of the tournament. And uh, and for Antonio Carlos Jr., who 
um, had to deal with some misfortune and some injuries throughout his UFC career. The fact that Shoeface is a goddamn millionaire as we sit here late 2021 is just absolutely awesome. So. It's crazy. I, th- I believe we called his debut after he came off of the Ultimate yeah. Fighter. And to see where he's come, man, I remember you know talking to him with you uh, on the bus after one of his yeah. losses in the yep. UFC and kind of cheering him up. That. And yeah. he's one of the nicest guys ever, man. And to see what he did and how far his skills have come uh, was an awesome story. It was awesome to witness. All right, so let's get into some of this UFC 267 stuff. Ray Longo is going to join us in about 25 minutes, of course, if he answers the wake-up call. James Krause coming up in the main event challenge. He will make picks against Ken Flo. Seven of them for UFC 268. And, of course, Joe Osborne, as is customary for a pay-per-view week, will join us. He has predictions, or at least bets, I should say, on the top three fights coming up at UFC 268 this weekend. Man, these back-to-back numbered events are killing me, Ken Flo. You know, this is... (laughs) Something that I don't think will happen if I work another 10 years with the UFC. I'm not sure we'll have back-to-back pay-per-view events, which is essentially what we're dealing with here. Um, But let us recap UFC 267 for you. And we begin with the meanest Jedi's native. But he's an American citizen now, folks. The Brazilians getting a little bit upset when I say, Danbury, Connecticut, where are you at? Glover Teixeira is a Brazilian-American. But he moved to Danbury, Connecticut in 1999. When they announce him, he says, fighting out of Danbury, Connecticut, USA. He doesn't say, <laughs> fighting out of Danbury, Connecticut, USA, by way of Minas Gerais, Brazil. That, of course, is neither here nor there. Both nations can lay claim to this champion. But two days before the fight, Kenny, he turns 42 years of age. As you well know, fought John Jones for the belt April 2014 in Baltimore, Maryland at UFC 172. And almost 100 pay-per-views in seven years later. With relative ease, Glover Teixeira breaks through and is the undisputed UFC light heavyweight champ. It's not fair to Jan Bohovic because he's not 40 and he didn't get stronger like Glover Teixeira did. Everybody knows when you turn 40, you get your old man strength and that's exactly what happened. It was a huge advantage. No, listen, uh, what a damn story, dude. I remember being on The Ultimate Fighter in what, 2004, hearing the stories about Glover Teixeira, the training partner uh, of Chuck Liddell and how good he was was he was trying to get his visa and all this stuff and to see him finally get into the UFC and finally uh, have this championship opportunity after what uh, over a decade well over a decade uh, of competing uh, at a high level is just awesome to see man what a performance you know sometimes you see these performances from some of the older guys and and you kind of point to some mistakes and be like ah they did this and that this was pretty flawless from Glover Teixeira. He was just outright dominant here uh, against Bojovic and um, just uh, amazed by the performance, how easy he made it look. Um, his grappling was on point. His striking was on point. There was maybe one little flurry where he got, you know, rocked up maybe a little bit. But uh, Glover was just amazing, man. Yeah, Bojovic essentially had one minute of success where he started to establish his jab a little bit, but this was all Glover Teixeira. And by the way, thank you for dealing with us with any technical issues today. I'll get out in front of that. I'm at the Hilton in New York. Wi-Fi not great, but we're doing the best we can to get this one in the can for you. Um, One tweet came in, and there are a lot of angles on this Bojovic Teixeira fight at Grisco's 555 regarding Glover and Jan. Kenny, when's the last time you've seen a can opener really mess up an opponent? Glover's really seem to mess up Jan. So I believe that's a reference to maybe pulling down on the head there early on. What's going on? Yes. Uh, I'm glad you brought this up. This is a great question. Um, You know, 
a lot of guys, they haven't, we don't really see this. Randy Couture actually used to do this a little bit. He would grab with one, almost like he has a collar tie when he gets on top and he'd beat you up with short shots. Um, and But it's rare that you see the dub, the double collar tie, similar to how you see a plum tie clinch uh, when you're standing up on the feet. And he was doing the, doing this against Bohovic from the closed guard position. Um, the weakest part of the body and the end of the lever of the spine is that head and neck. And it's the weakest part of the body and it can easily get compromised um it's what you do obviously to get a lot of submissions with with various chokes right so um i thought it was a smart tactic and to me it seemed like it definitely had an effect you saw in the first round first um yon trying to push out of it. he's using a lot of energy he wasn't very efficient from there um and on the second go he was really trying to get the hell out of there And on the third one he almost wasn't fighting it he was just trying to like sneak out he was trying to sit up with his butt almost like he was sitting up to a butterfly guard uh, to try to sneak out of it and slither out of it. None of those were really that effective. And you could see when he got up after that round, his head was jutted forward. He seemed really tight in his traps. Yeah. Um, and I think it, it played a factor in that fight for sure. Uh, and uh, I thought it was a really smart tactic from Glover to share it. And it's I can't remember the last time we've seen it. I haven't seen yeah. it in a very long time, uh, but I thought it was brilliant. So you got blood chokes and air chokes, correct me if I'm wrong, and then obviously like neck cranks and like pressure things that just right. that would be more of a neck tapping. crank. Right. Yeah. So Daniel Cormier and I sort of hinted on the broadcast, I said, I hope we'll get some clarity from Bohovic as to how exactly this choke was administered. But mm-hmm. he said it was sort of your traditional Mataleo rear naked choke and it was underneath the neck. Okay, it looked yeah. to me like maybe it was it was not, but you know, got to take Bohovic at his word, and, and it was a rear naked show. Yeah, so uh, sorry, I, I thought you we were talking about the um, the can opener there. The can opener is a neck crank. Right. Uh, the, the the choke, the submission at the end, to me, didn't seem like a rear naked choke. To be honest, it seemed like it was more on the front of the esophagus, which is more of a painful uh, type move than it is something that's going to put you out or put you right. to sleep. Right. Um, and I don't know. I mean, that was a very quick tap. A, a couple things. First of all, we, if we go back to that can opener once again, um, you can see that Glover Teixeira is not your typical human. He is extremely strong. You don't do that and able to hold on to that unless you're really strong. It could be that Glover was just so damn strong on that submission yet again that he was driving that forearm into the esophagus. He felt like that thing was getting crushed, which... It is a possibility and something that you could do. So it was it was definitely quicker than uh, your typical tap. Um, but uh, again, it was it was Teixeira getting it done. And um, yeah, it was just amazing, man. If Glover Teixeira had lost this fight, Kenny, he probably would never find himself in the UFC Hall of Fame, despite the fact that going into this fight, he was the most decorated finisher in UFC light heavyweight history, right? This was long, the UFC's glamour division, and Glover had more finishes than John Jones and everybody else. But now, obviously, to put a capstone on his career with the UFC light heavyweight title, and he will be back in all likelihood to, to defend it in March. Um, you know, he's probably going to be in the UFC Hall of Fame. More to get to on Teixeira, but as far as Bohovic is concerned, you know, I've told this audience when I sat down with him in September of 2020 in Abu Dhabi before he fought Dominic Reyes, I have never walked out of a fighter meeting so confident in a fighter than after that meeting with Bohovic. It just felt like he was just raring and ready to go, and maybe he knew something that we didn't. We've also talked about certain athletes sort of maximizing the global pandemic climate in so far as competing well at 
early hours of the morning without a crowd right. in a 25-foot octagon. All of these things are factors. And I don't know what to make of what was a largely listless performance from Jan Bohovic. I think you really just got to give credit to Glover Teixeira by and large, but I didn't get that same vibe necessarily from Jan Bohovic during the week. You know, his son is there with him. His head coach's son is there. Wives are there. Fiancés are there. He's giving Glover a beer. There are all of these pleasantries going on. I'm just a fan, and I'm just saying I didn't necessarily get get that same killer vibe from Bohovic, and, uh, you know, he paid the ultimate price with his belt. I don't know. Yeah, listen, I, I think those are all things that y- – you know, only you could know, you know, in, in being there. And I think th- that's absolutely a factor. Um, anytime you get a little too comfortable out there, um, you know, I think that's not a good sign in some ways. You want to be relaxed enough where you can still compete at your best. But, um, you know, getting way too friendly and thinking you have this in the bag and, and getting a little overconfident is, is never a good thing, uh, in my opinion. And it looked like Jan was just kind of out of his element. The other thing is, is that, you know, I don't know if Jan is necessarily the strongest guy on the ground, especially when it comes to being on your back. There's not a whole lot of guys that just are in mixed martial arts. It, it's not a, a great position unless you are um, highly, highly skilled. Uh, and those are just few and far between. And from yeah. there, Glover just looked very dominant, and Jan just didn't have an answer. He Again, he just didn't look very efficient. He was pushing a lot with his arms, uh, and he, he, I don't know, he seemed very, very much out of his element there and on the ground just made some what looked like rookie mistakes and Glover took full advantage of it I think Glover knew the easiest uh, path to victory and that was putting Jan on his back and uh, again just an amazing performance made it look easy man we probably have 150 or so Brazilian jiu-jitsu black belts in the UFC can flow at least on paper right there are Mm -hmm. different levels to Brazilian jiu-jitsu black belt. I know Jan Bohovic brought in Braulio Estima and uh, was working with him. Unbelievable, yeah. right? But Glover Teixeira is a tried and true Brazilian jiu-jitsu black belt. And uh, and now he's a world champion. And I loved his tweet after the fact. You know, you always wonder what it's going to be like waking up the morning after as the champion. And he said, you know what? It felt pretty good. But <laughs> if you don't know the story, and most of you do, moves to Danbury, Connecticut when he was 19 or 20 years old in 1999, was there illegally, eventually back to Brazil. Brazil made his way back to Connecticut and um, he has just made such an imprint in that region. It's a heavily populated Brazilian region, of course, there in Danbury, Connecticut. You know, I proposed to my wife in Danbury. I lived there for three years. I know people are uh, are trying to sort of put this all together. It's sort of weird that that this is like a championship for New England. And you know what? We're fucking celebrating it. That's a championship. It's like, we going to have to deal with that. Um so Yuri Prohaska was brought in as a backup out of the Czech Republic. He's 2-0, and I believe, in the UFC. He's going to get the next championship opportunity. And about 10 minutes from now, I'm going to tell you all that I think Hamzat Shimaev should get a title shot. So before we get there, Yuri Prohaska is going to be next. He is enormous. He is not even in his fighting prime in all likelihood. I expect that Yuri Prohaska might be favored to beat Glover Teixeira. Perhaps you disagree. Um, I love the fact that Glover's already calling a month and not saying I need six months off. So seemingly it'll be Teixeira and Prohaska for the UFC light heavyweight title in March. Do you have anything for us on that? Yuri uh, doesn't have much experience. Okay. He's not great on the ground. He's reckless. And he can still win the fight. That's how yeah, dangerous yeah, he yeah, is. Yeah, that's that's yeah. the thing about Prohaska is, you know, he is he throws so much at you and he's so damn confident and he's so tough. 
um, that, you know, he can knock out anybody in the world in that weight class. And and he's very unorthodox. So he has some weaknesses, right? But he, a lot of his strengths outweigh those weaknesses to the point where there's no one that you can find out there that really can replicate that kind of game and that kind of athleticism. So uh, it's a very intriguing fight in my mind. Uh, and uh, I would love to see it. Prohaska is an absolute beast. I love his mentality. I love the way he approaches the game. And uh, sign me up. All right. Well, congratulations to Glover Teixeira, uh, Mr. Congeniality, you know, truly one of the all time great guys in the game. And it's just nice to see him be uh, the toast of the sport and the new UFC light heavyweight champion. And I do think that Jan Bohovic will be back and he'll be back strong, probably a UFC fight night main event or something like that. You know, there's certainly some very good residue for Jan Bohovic that has come from this championship reign. He did take Israel Adesanya's first professional loss or his O, I should say. So Bohovic will be back, you know, but he'll be 39 in February. And, uh, you know, just got to see. But this one belongs to Glover and very excited to see how he will match up with Yuri Prohaska. All right. We had another title fight. UFC interim bantamweight belt was on the line. It goes to Piotr Jan over Corey Sandhagen, 49-46 times three. Now, I saw Michael Chandler push out a tweet that said, did we just witness the greatest title fight in UFC history? And I would respond, I would say, no, we did not, Michael. It's a great fight. Great fight. I mean, instant classic, sure. Fight of the night, absolutely. Um, It wasn't the greatest fight in UFC history. It was fucking awesome. Um, I think that's taking it a step too far. But Mm -hmm. Piotr Jan is unbelievable. And we got plenty of... Plenty of uh, praise for Corey as well. But, dude, Piotr Jan is unbelievable. What do you have for us on Jan and Sanhagen? Oh, listen, yeah, it wasn't the best title fight in UFC history, but it was damn good because of the high level of mixed martial arts that we witnessed. I thought that um, it was brilliant in how Piotr Jan was able to adjust as the fight went on. The first round, I gave it to Corey. I thought he was moving really well. He was cutting in and out. He was landing a variety of shots. He was confusing Piotr Jan. I thought Corey won the second round as well. I thought it was a little bit closer. You could see Piotr Jan kind of closing that gap a little bit, finding his range. And you could see he, he really is like a computer. It's that first round where, you know, Piotr takes a little bit to analyze and assess and figure things out, and he just gets stronger and stronger and stronger. Corey was winning the third round, then gets knocked down. The whole fight just changed. Not only for that round, Piotr stole that round and won round three, but then he just continued to get better and better. Started landing more shots. He was backing up Corey. Corey started to um, not throw as much, it seemed. Uh, His punches lacked that certain snap that it had early on. Jan just seemed to get stronger. Uh, And it's those power shots that were really taking its effect, it seemed, on Corey. Corey was doing a good job of trying to mix things up and get some takedowns going. But he was kind of stopping his motion. He was he had beautiful timing in on the legs, but then would stop moving his feet. And it allowed Jan to kind of sprawl and get back. And he was winning some of those exchanges. And for me, Corey was just missing that third and fourth move when it came to the grappling, which was allowing Jan to either get back to his feet or win those exchanges. So, um, But it was just high-level mixed martial arts all the way around. But for me, Jan's ability to adapt, his power... Uh, and his determination was the difference in that fight. What a fight. And Jan is one hell of a champion, man. Good luck unseating that dude. I, I mean, what the hell? 
I'm telling you, man, you know, I texted his manager, Danny Rubenstein. He looks like he's going on his way to becoming the greatest bantamweight of all time. You know, you mean to tell me that this version of Piotr Jan, um, with all due respect to my best friend, Dominic Cruz, isn't better than Cruz in his prime as the consensus greatest bantamweight of all time. And I say that with all due respect. And I know I shouldn't be speaking in absolutes, but... This is one of the greatest fighters pound for pound that I have ever seen compete live. I did not call a lot of his early fights in the UFC. Not a slow starter per se to your point, but just making his reads and then adjusting. And really, I thought, started to see things well defensively in round two, which was close. I have no argument if people saw one and two for Sanhagen. I know Chael Sonnen actually was trying to make a case on the post-fight show that Sanhagen won rounds one, two, and five. I think I gave Jan two through five. But that obviously is neither here nor there. But he's a truly special fighter. I kind of feel like with Piotr Jan, Kenny, is that if you told him that he had to win a fight with wrestling, that he could go do it. You know, that if you said, hey, man, you got to get a takedown every round and win the fight with wrestling, that he could go do it. If you have to win this fight with boxing and you can't attempt any takedowns, I think he could probably go do it against the elite bantamweights in the world. I also think Sanhagen is going to be heard from. You know, this is valuable experience for him for sure. But I think you hit on a lot of truths. I just felt like the more significant strikes were mostly Jans. And Corey, who said he was going to try to return to form as the volume guy, the volume did sort of dissipate as the fight was going on. He gets my nasty prick award. Uh, you know, yeah, he, he yeah. really got that. He's got that nasty in him. He is an absolute crusher. Uh, and, you know, a lot of times you'll see these guys that are super technical. And when you have that amount of power, um, it does make a difference. You know, that that ability to throw that hard can be the equivalent. You know, one shot can be the equivalent of three or four blows of the other guy. Um, and I, I think those damaging type strikes were taking its toll and adding up for him. And um, his ability to pursue and keep chasing down Corey, you know, takes its toll on you as well. You know, you're throwing everything at someone and that person across from you keeps coming forward, keeps pressuring you, keeps landing shots. You know, I thought that choice to fire back to the body with the kick was brilliant as well from Jan. This is not only a crusher, but a very, very intelligent fighter. And seems just totally immune to pressure. You know, loudest ovation at the weigh-in. By a pretty significant margin was for Pyotr Jan, Hamzat Chimaev, number two. But Jan chartered a flight of nearly 200 supporters. All came in for him. And uh, truly, truly special fighter. And everybody's just blown away. You know, a lot of the higher level minds than me on our UFC crew are just blown away after every single Pyotr Jan fight. And I'm probably not putting it well, but uh, that's sort of the emotion for a lot of us walking out of that arena. And as we do handicap a rematch between Aljamain Sterling and Piotr Jan, I know Jan doesn't even necessarily want the fight, but that is going to be the fight. When they met in March of this year at UFC 259, Ken Flo, it was pretty close on the betting line. Aljamain did outstrike Piotr Jan in round 127 to 14, even though Piotr Jan largely dominated the fight. I think you're looking at Jan at probably a, a four to one favorite at minimum against Aljamain Sterling in a rematch. Um, I don't think Long goes in the back just yet, so you don't have to uh, be careful with your words. But how do you see that rematch between Sterling and Jan as we look ahead? That's going to be a real tough one. You know, I, I think in that fight, Aljo was throwing everything at Jan that he could in that first round. Um, and, you know, it, it seemed like it was a pace that wasn't going to be tolerated over the course of, you know, three, four, five rounds. Um, so 
I don't, I don't know. I, I think Aljo can make certain adjustments to be more careful out there. Does he beat Jan at this point from what I've seen? I don't know, man. I I, I don't think so. And, and Aljo is a hell of a fighter. He's a tremendous grappler that um, – you know, is always going to be dangerous if he gets you to the ground, right? But uh, Jan is, is just an absolute beast. And, uh, you know, him being in that top five pound for pound isn't out of the question right now. It's just it's, he's just that good and he's that nasty. If you were to pull the fan base and say you can send any 35 or in the world in there to beat Piotr Jan, who are you sending in there? I think 90 percent of the fan base would send Corey Sandhagen in there. Might get a few votes for Rob Font. Jose Aldo kind of been there, done that. Aljamain Sterling probably would get a few votes. But uh, man. Piotr Jan seems a level or so above the other elite bantamweights in the world right now. And I say that with all due respect to the weight class. Um, and I love Sandhagen, such a good dude. You know, I know obviously cross trains with Ryan Hall, spent a few weeks or a few days, I think, with Ryan Hall before this fight had even been announced. But uh, Sandhagen's a student of the game. He's a young man. I do think he'll be back in a championship setting. Um, you just got to hope Jan doesn't get any better between now and then. My I'm God. Telling you. I'm all right. Hamza Chimaev. Kamzat fucking Chimaev, okay? I have been waiting 48 hours since this fight card ended to hear what you have to say about this man because there are a lot of layers, right? I'm not even sure he made weight, right? So when you talk about him having to make welterweight, fight in and fight out and not make 171 potentially but make 170 pounds, that is a factor. Although you hear different rumblings on the ground like he was eating the night before, just kind of messing around, he's fine, you know, so who knows? But right. as a fighter, Kenny, um, he's one of the most dominant forces in the game. And the reason I was so excited to see him fight Leon Edwards, a fight that went away three times, is because I truly wanted to see if his game would translate the way it did against Lee Jing Leong against someone like Leon Edwards. Because candidly, you know, I had some sentiments that maybe a Leon Edwards Shimaya fight might go down similarly to the way this fight went down between Shimaev and Lee Jing Leong. What are your thoughts on what Hamza Chimaev was able to do in uh, in taking uh, the Leech's number 11 ranking uh, and so much more? I think that it went um, as expected for the most part. I think this is what an elite fighter with the skills of Hamza Chimaev should have done against Leeching Jing, uh, Jing yeah, Leon, right. considering the matchup, right? But, you know, what, is this his third UFC fight? You know, this is something, fourth, okay. This is something that you would expect out of a guy who's been in the UFC for a long time, who ha comes from that wrestling background with those submission skills. Uh, but to see this done in his fourth UFC fight is extremely impressive. Now, uh, what I was hoping for in the back of my mind was to see Lee, Ling Jing, Lee Jing Leung go out there and give him a battle. I wanted to see what would happen when Hamzat is experiencing adversity. Because that's when we really, really know, right? In, in my mind, anyway. I want to see what happens when that dude gets cracked. What happens when he has to come back? What happens when you know he's on his back and has to fight his way back uh, to get the win? Because um, as it is right now, he's just been dominating dudes now that's also a good thing because perhaps he's just that damn good and he's five levels above everyone else we don't have those answers quite yet i want to see him against high level competition i think he deserves it um but as of right now he's just going out there and playing with guys literally i mean he's picking you up in the air and he's talking to dana white outside the cage you know, similar to what Habib did in his like 13th fight in the UFC, right. you know, so it's right. just, 
this guy, it, it seems like he's at a different level. He's combining, you know, both his ability to entertain, his ability to say the right things on the mic, and his ability to go out there and do exactly what he said he's going to do yeah. in a fight. So he is, as it is right now, he's something special. I want to see him tested. Um, but uh, I, th- I think this is someone who can go very, very far. No question about it. And I don't know how much of the broadcast you actually heard, but he comes into the fighter meeting and he says, I want a war. You know, I want to be a part of one of those fights that people are talking about for years to come. Um, But obviously that has not materialized. And there were certain historical references in Lee Jing Leung's career, like the Jake Matthews fight and the Neil Magny fight that weren't great indicators of a potential future performance to the positive for Lee Jing Leung here. If you catch my drift, if, yeah, if Jake yeah. Matthews is controlling him on the ground, how's it going to go sure. against Kamzat Chimaev that takes a Lear Latifi down? I mean, John Gooden was telling us about some of these gym stories, man. I mean, this guy, they can barely find middleweights to train with him. He doesn't train with any welterweights at all. And he is now 10 and 0 with 10 finishes, right? He will certainly be number 11 in the world, but I wouldn't be surprised to see him vault to like eight or nine if I'm being honest with you. Um, we do have a tweet here from CD Carter 42069. If they were scheduled to fight, who opens as the favorite, Hamza Chimaev or Kamar Usman? Now, right now, bestfightodds.com has Kamar Usman minus 200, Hamza Chimaev plus 170. What do you think they do with Hamza Chimaev? If Kamar Usman beats Colby Covington, right? Because obviously if Colby Covington beats Kamar Usman, I think there's going to be trilogy language in Kamar's contract, and you're going to see those guys complete that trilogy. So let's bring in Ray Longo into this conversation. But Ken Flo, uh, I'm curious. Raymond, you look good today, my man. How are you? Where where are you, New York? Yeah, I'm I'm in New York City at the Hilton. Got in last night. Um, I know some of our YouTube commenters don't like it when I complain, but um, I'm pretty jet lagged and I'm pretty. pretty oh man, you now, should so. be. You're the the old the consummate professional. Now, this is unbelievable. Oh, thank you, buddy. Kenny. This isn't easy. I mean, Kenny's laughing. He thinks something's coming, but I'm really just. Uh, what are the odds we can get you to center your face up? What are the odds we can get you to just center up a little bit for the viewers? If you could, there, there we go. go. All right, so. I just want to start with Kenny on this, and then we have a number of different things that we want to get into with you, and uh, it's always great to see you on a Monday morning. But, Kenny, what do you do with Hamzat Shimaya? Because I think you strike while the iron's hot, and I know fans are going to think I'm crazy, but Yuri Prohaska is getting a title fight. Granted, there isn't the depth at 205 that there is at 170 pounds, but if Kamar Usman wins, I'm giving Shimaev a title shot first quarter 2021. Gilbert Burns and everybody else, I'm sorry, but that's how I feel. You know, it, a couple things, okay? I, I wouldn't give him a title shot just yet, but I will say this. I think that uh, a serious conversation needs to, needs to be had between the UFC and his coaches, his team, and himself and say, where do you want to be? You want to be at 170 or do you want to be at 185 pounds? And can you make 170 pounds and can you do it consistently? That, I think that that's the key, right? Because – Listen, at 170 pounds, for me, on a technical level, I think his path is a more difficult one in a lot of ways. At 185, right, right. he's got to be – again, there's some good you know, grapplers in there, but I think Hamzat's got to be at the top of the pack as far as grapplers go in that division. At 170, it's not necessarily so clear. I think the level is a little bit higher at 170 pounds than it is at 185. So I don't know. So I, I think some questions need to be answered. What division does he want to be in? 
Um, and then well, that there, question I can answer for you, okay. and it you maybe got? isn't coming from him directly, but his right. team has sat down with him, Andreas, Michael, and everybody else at All Stars. They want him to be clear intentioned with a singular focus, right? And it looks like right now he might even do a wrestling match with Jack Hermanson on November 19th, I saw that, yeah. which is not at all what his coaches would be looking for. They want him to be of a singular focus, and that means chasing a welterweight championship, having legitimate training camps, not taking short-notice fights at 85 or otherwise. So that seems to be the vision. Um I don't know if he can make weight 10 more times, but I do think he can make it a few more times. Ray, what did you make of Chimaev, and ultimately what would you do with him now at this point at 4-0 in the UFC? Yeah, look, at the, after, after this weekend, I mean, last weekend, phenomenal. What are you going to do? I, I'm with you, John. I would I, I, I would like to see him with a top five guy next and then right to the title. I All right, so who? What? So who? So, so, all right, call what? WB. Call WB. Stephen Thompson taking that fight? Yeah. WB would take that fight. I think he would take the fight. But what about Gil- who who just beat Wonderboy? Gilbert Burns? Yeah. Well, that's what I'm saying. So, so there are three fight. names, okay? Gilbert, Gil- Gilbert Wonderboy Burns, Thompson. Gil- Gilbert Burns and Kamzad. No, I think Burns and Chimaev in a main event makes a lot of sense. That'd be great. Cool. And Vicente Luque is a guy who you know would not turn down that fight. I'm doubt. just saying, though, like, like, did I, I was not on social media all weekend and I'm not even trying to be funny. Right. But like, did our guy Bilal remember the name Muhammad hop on social media and call for a fight with Hamzat Chimaev? Are people calling this guy out, Ken Flo? Because honestly, he's the biggest fucking fight for you in the sport right now. Like if you want the bag and you want the title and you're a welterweight contender and you're Gilbert Durino Burns, am I crazy? I'm not trying yeah. to talk like a promoter. I think if anyone, if I'm Gilbert Burns, I say, give me fucking Hamza. Let's go. I think 90% of the guys, if they're offered the fight, they're going to look behind and be like, did I, I I didn't raise my hand. I was just, I was just saying, but you know, um, I I don't know, man. Listen, I, I I love the Gilbert Burns idea. I also love maybe the, the, whoever loses this championship fight between Usman and Covington, you know, I think would be phenomenal to to really go against another grappler and be like, hey, let's see what let's see what he's all about. So Gilbert Burns, a high level Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu black belt. Let's see what that's about. You know, Um, yeah, I I think that would be a phenomenal fight. Ray, uh, I guess Cody's telling me Bilal did call for the fight on social media. So, you know, I mean, his balls go down to the fucking floor, but I'm just saying, man, like it's it's one thing to publicly come out. Yeah, I'll fight that guy, you know, like um, but I I just think it's going to be very interesting. What do you think? Yeah, John, it's a weird position because these I mean, the guys, the other guys we were talking about all ranked higher and they want to keep moving forward. So that that poses a little problem. It doesn't really make sense for them to be calling him out at this point. Uh, That's why I said I would try to give him somebody. Uh, where where was like uh, the leech ranked? Where was he? Eleven. Eleven. Was he eleven? Yes. Then you got to jump him up. That's I'm pretty just good, saying, right? man. I mean, I mean, Hamza Chimaev uh, it moves a lot of needles. I mean, I think he got more Instagram followers than the champion, the number one pound for pound fighter in the sport, Kamaru Usman. Um, yeah, I mean, I know Gilbert Burns would absolutely unequivocally take the fight, but the whole notion that Gilbert would have pause as the number two guy in the world is silly because Chimaev's the biggest fight in the division. Right. Other than a title fight. And if you want a title fight and you're Gilbert Burns, right? And you had your title fight and then you go beat WB and Wonderboy is one of the worst matchups for most of these guys in the division. You want a title fight again? All you need to do is go beat Hamza Chimaev. And I <laughs> guarantee all. you're getting it. 
Wow. So, I mean, look, I'm sure Dane is all over this. This is Dana's type of guy, man. The guy wants to fight any place, any time. He, he'll take five fights in a year. So uh, you're going to see him move quickly regardless of anything. He's going to be, you know, within the next six months, major things are going to happen, I would think, with him because he's ready to go. And that's like, again, that's Dana's type of guy, man. He'll, he will – they're going to look for the good matchups like they do with everybody else they're building up. Uh, so, yeah, but I don't. I don't think you're going to see him against a really good wrestler next, but it'll be somebody with a ranking. Yeah, and, uh, you know, and I'm I'm sure there's going to be a lot of people firing darts my way because of this take. But certainly, when we finish getting off the air after a show like this, flow at UFC yeah. 67, like, what do you think we're talking about at the bar? We're yeah. talking about the fights, obviously. And we're talking about this guy, and everybody's asking me, "Oh, who's next?" And I'm title shot, title shot. Get the fuck out of here! I don't want to hear anything else. But hey, the, the obviously, fans, yeah. Go ahead. No, go ahead. I, I think the fans are just wondering if this is you talking or the jet lag talking. I think that's what they're trying to decipher right now. <laughs> hey, man, if Colby Covington wins, which is a distinct possibility, six days from now, I think you're going to see them do the trilogy. But if Kamar Usman wins, is he going to rematch Gilbert Burns? Is he going to fight his best friend, Vicente Luke? No, Luke, I guess, is not, is not his best friend, but they do have a relationship. But, I mean, who's Kamar Usman defending the belt first quarter 2022? He's not moving up to fight Adesanya. I mean, who's he fighting? He's fighting fucking Kamsa Chimaev, I think. I don't know, man. Um, is right. he drinking on the plane? I'm starting to think. I'm drinking on the plane? He's drinking on the plane. No, I mean, a lot of recreational drugs uh, that I prefer over alcohol. <laughs> Guys, holy crap. You're like a, hey, man, you're like a wizard. Like, you're like a mad scientist over there. You look different today. I'm very excited because, as a lot of our listeners know, I do I – do, train with with Gilbert strength and conditioning coaches so I'm very excited to get back to the Institute of Human Performance with my guy Rio and JC Santana and see what they say about Gilbert fighting Hamza Chimaev because I really do believe if you're Gilbert Burns and you want to expedite a title fight uh you call for a fight with Chimaev and uh maybe our guy Bilal will get it you just never know right (laughs) hey Ray we have a lot to get to with you so we'll all try to be efficient I know I've been largely inefficient all day today but I want to get your thoughts on Piotr Jan and Corey Sandhagen because when I watch Piotr Jan, you know, he looks like the best 135-pound fighter that I've ever seen. I think uh, that was a beautiful – first off, it was a great fight. Uh, Hats off to Corey, too. I thought he would – see, the pressure of Peter Jan is just suffocating at this point, and he could take a shot, and he can give a – and he hits like a mule. So he is – this was a great fight for Peter Jan. I mean, I don't think you could not like him after this fight, Uh, but he's – and he just suffocated him. The first round looked great for Corey. I thought he was be able to keep that up. Uh, I definitely think it was a closer fight than the scores indicate, you know. But um, it, he hundred percent won the fight. But uh, yeah, it just he looked great. He uh, there's nothing. I don't think there's not a negative you could say about this guy at this point. He looked really, really. This this was a good fight for him uh, because it's styles make fights. And I thought Corey, you know, with the movement and the length and the angles would pose a problem and it it did for like five minutes and then yeah. it just he suffocates you. He's got a really suffocating style and he's good everywhere. And you will be the coach that is charged with now preparing his next opponent, Al Jermaine Sterling. I mean, I, at least you get 25 minutes of new film on Piotr Jan, but uh, yeah. I'd imagine you're uh, you're excited for that challenge sometime first or second quarter next year. Yeah, that challenge just became bigger after after this yeah. weekend. Yeah. No, he, yeah. he looked he looked really really good. 
Yeah. You know, so. All right. Uh, so for it, though, for sure. I'm sort of bemoaning the fact that we're 40 or so minutes into the show and we haven't mentioned Islam Makashev. So I do want to get to Islam and then we can get to this whole referee situation with Elizio Zaleski Dos Santos and Benoit Saint-Denis. Um, Islam Makashev makes quick work of Dan Hooker with a Kimura 225 of round one Ken Flo. It seemed like there was a protest from Dan Hooker sort of intimating, let him break my arm. At first, I was sort of wondering if there was like a verbal tap. And then yep. Dan was like, why didn't you stop it when I said tap? But that was not the case. I think Dan really wanted to go out on a shield, but thankfully he didn't because he'll sort of not have as extended a delay in returning to competition. But Kempfel, what are your thoughts on Makashev? Uh, Holden serve as a big favorite against Hooker. Well, that's that's precisely why you have a referee in there uh, to save the fighter from themselves. And uh, he wasn't going anywhere. Uh, right. He was not going to get out of that. Right. And. Dan, your shoulder would have been broken or your elbow would have been broken or something would have been broken and then you would have been out of training for a while and for a guy who likes to stay active, you wouldn't have been fighting for a very long time. So right. that would have, wouldn't have been a good decision. Um, listen, uh, you know, Dan started out moving laterally. Uh, Mahashev, uh, you know, was kind of onto it, stopped him from corralling him with that left hook, shot that double leg, put him on his back and that was Mahashev's world. Uh, Dan pretty much didn't have a prayer from there. And Mahashev looked like the guy that everybody's been talking about to, you know, take the throne from Habib, you know, perhaps maybe even a better version of Habib because his striking is that much sharper. Um, and he retains that wrestling control and those submission skills that Habib has. So he's, yeah. he's a damn problem uh, and just looked phenomenal against a guy in Dan Hooker who can give a lot of people in that division trouble. Yeah. No one just goes out there and beats Dan Hooker like that. Okay. You yeah. know, uh, right. so I, I thought that was a very impressive performance. And this guy, Mahashev, just might be a champ in the near future. Ray, there's a lot of selective listening goes on when it comes to our broadcast. And a lot of people heard me say over the weekend that Islam Mahashev would probably be favored right now on the money line to beat any lightweight in the world. I did not say he was the best lightweight in the world right now, but I do believe that he would be favored over both Charles Oliveira and Dustin Poirier. What are your thoughts on Makashev, and ultimately how would you like to see the UFC proceed with him? Uh, well, he definitely would be favored over those guys for sure. I, I agree with that. Uh, this was look. This was his like not 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 really a test because he's been fighting really well every fight, but like. Kenny said, "Lot now Hook has given a lot of guys problems. A lot of guys haven't gotten him down. He made this look too easy against yeah. too good of a guy. You know what I mean? And it's uh, you know, it's a little different when you get caught with a shot that could happen to anybody. But this was more methodical and just you could see the dominance. There was uh, this guy. If he didn't want to tap to that, like again, Kenny, his shoulder would have been broke. Something yeah. would have been ripped. It would have been no good. It still might be no good because that thing right. was." Pretty far back there. I know my my arm's not going back like that. So uh, hats off to this guy. I mean, you got to give him a title shot, right, like right away. He earned it. And yeah, I think Kenny, I don't know how you. you give, I agree. Go ahead, John. Sorry. No, I no, I cut you off. I agree, Kenny. I mean, Ch Chandler and Gaethje are obviously going to fight in what is a title eliminator of sorts this weekend, but Justin Gaethje's last fight was for the undisputed title. Michael Chandler's last fight was for the undisputed title. Um, my sentiments are are aligned with Ray's here, and and I think that Islam Akashev's next fight is going to be for the belt. What do you think? Yeah, listen, I, I think he did exactly what he needed to do. Um, I think not only based on his performances, but based on who 
um, you know, everyone has faced. Uh, I, I think he deserves that next shot. Just um, as far as who's up next, uh, he's put himself in a perfect position. Flawless performance. Uh, let's go. Yeah, yeah, John. There's a difference when you're winning fights and when you're completely dominating fights. So they, they, these against really good guys, they're just the domination is what what makes it for me. Like it's you've you've seen nobody do this to these guys before, and it's they're making it look easy. They have to be rewarded. Um, the Dagestanis, yeah. you know, the Chechnya, they, but they're not. It, it's I think they're outworking everybody. You know, I think all guys are you know partying and you know they're on social media. These guys look like they're just no nonsense in the gym every day, ready to fight at a drop of a dime, and that's the way it should be, man. I I admire what they're doing. I'd say they be they should one hundred percent be rewarded. You know, like if if the guys here aren't in that gym every day. And they, they don't deserve to have the shots these guys have. I, I believe these guys do the right thing, and uh, their dedication to the sport is, is shining through right now. All right, a couple more things to get to with the great Ray Longo. We had a prelim at welterweight. It was Eliseo Zaleski dos Santos over Benoit Saint-Denis by unanimous decision. 29-26 times three. Tweet here from Damian Myers, head coach Eduardo Alonso, Ken Flo. The UFC, which is the highest level, is not the place to experiment with referees. What just happened at UFC 267 in Abu Dhabi is atrocious, dangerous, and can't be allowed. The ref should protect the fighters' health, not shorten their lives. Unbelievable. And then we have another tweet here, Ray, from at two sprites. Is it wrong that there are some coaches that literally don't have the health of their fighter in mind, like Benoit's coach, uh, Daniel Waran? Admitted he would never throw in the towel. So a lot to get to there. Oof. Referee just didn't know what he was doing. And then he takes a quick point from Easy Dos Santos. <laughs> I mean, the guy hasn't a clue. I don't think he'll be in a UFC octagon ever again. Um, but, Ray, since you're the coach and the guy who has the ability to throw in the towel, even if the rules don't implicitly say that, um, what were your thoughts on how this all went down? Uh, I, I, well, I think when he took that point away, just highlighted, uh, yeah, you know, that if he didn't take the point away, I, it might be even a different conversation, but when he just, he just looked like he wasn't present, this guy, can, he just looked like he was having a great time. Two guys have beaten <laughs> snot out of each other. When he took the point though, that I think that's what did it for me. I was like, I was, cause I watched it after the fact and everybody was already complaining about it. So I went in there with a little bias. So it's, uh, it's hard to say, but look, you have to know your fighter. Obviously, there was a time in the fight. Um, look, everybody's got to get on the same page, right? Like, look, they could have stopped Marab's fight, maybe. Uh, uh, an inexperienced ref stops that fight. I think it would have been horrible. Sure. You know what I mean? So everybody's in a weird spot with this. Like DC making a comment, like, even if he comes back and wins the fight, it was the wrong thing to do. Well, what the fuck does that mean? He comes back and wins the fight. Then he, then he was all right. Like I, I don't even understand. I don't agree, Ray. I don't. I agree know. I know you don't. But it's 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 the guy did come back and he was fighting. And I'm not saying it was wrong not to stop it. You know, like uh, with that. But like again, yeah, the ref obviously didn't know anything about anybody. Like I think you know, you know, Marab. You know, he's got the gas tank. You could put a lot. You know, you're looking at him. And I talked to Peterson. He said, you know, he responded to everything I said. He did everything I wanted him to do right. to keep that fight moving, which is important. So did that ref even have that conversation with these two guys? By the way he acted in the octagon, I would think not. But um, Can't flow. You know, you, it, look, the fight could have been stopped. The corner could have thrown it in. Um, 
I, I, I don't know, but it, it, it didn't look good. And the, the, it made it worse with the ref. Cause you know, he, everything was based on luck in there at that point. You know what I mean? Like he wasn't making a conscious decision on anything. So yeah, they could have, they should have stopped the fight, but the fact that the guy came back was, was, was tricky. You know, sometimes, you know, Kenny, I'll be honest with you. Sometimes it looks like you're getting hit way harder than those punches are landing. You're turning a little bit. You absorb a shitload of percentage of that power. And I'm not saying that's the case here, but if the ref was talking to him or, you know, I, I don't know, that whole thing it looked like a shit show to me. Yeah. But. Yeah. You know, for me, listen, I, I said I tweeted something similar, but, uh, you know, everyone always thinks, you know, you got two of the best fighters in the world going at it. You know, those are the most dangerous guys in the cage. No, yeah. the most dangerous guy in the cage is an incompetent and inexperienced right. referee because, um, you know, that's what cuts lives and careers short. And to me, this guy making his UFC debut uh, got hurt not once, not twice, you know, and, and this is why I, I, I kind of going the other way, Ray. He was hurt like four or five times to the point yeah. where he, he he was doing his best to physically do something, but his body wasn't responding. Yeah. So to me, yeah, yeah, your brain's yeah. not working, your body's not working, yeah, yeah. and then he's getting hit again and again and again, yeah. taking not not like little jabs. These are big knees, yeah, yeah, overhand Bob, right, yeah, huge yeah. left hooks, stuff that's going to like you're getting concussed yeah. and then you're getting concussed again and again and again. Yeah, and to no, me, that's... it was a fight that should have been stopped. Yeah. I, I, I think there's no excuse for it. And like Ray said, then you see him take a point away from Dosantz. I mean, just just craziness. Um, yeah, and body it, language. Right. I agree with you, Kenny. Yeah, yeah. the fight should have been stopped based on that for yeah, sure. Yeah, and the referees just kind of like, like he didn't even he didn't even make it look like he was going to stop the fight at any point. He was just. He want he was waiting for the dude just to be out. Like that's what he considers a knockout is right, when the right. dude is just comatose. And you know, we've seen it before. Um, you know, yeah, and, we, and I think I've you seen want to save a fighter that. like that because yeah, that guy yeah. wasn't gonna quit. He wasn't gonna I, he I, comes I, from that special operation forces like mentality. Yeah, yeah. He's not gonna quit. He was ready right. to die. And those are the guys you gotta save. It's not, you know, the guys that are, are gonna tap out that you need to save. It's the guys that uh, will not quit. And for me, it it was uh it was hard to watch it at, at times and i'm just glad that uh, you know the ufc went in there and made the right choice and said you know what you're not ready for this level yeah. you might not be ready for professional fights period yeah, and well, just because yeah. check congo comes back and beats pat barry doesn't mean that the referee didn't actually contact pat barry which momentarily muted barry's offense right i mean I'm sort of with Kemflo. Just because a guy's throwing offense doesn't mean his brain is computing what's exactly going on. Um, but coaches, Ray, are in a tough spot. And this is sort of what I wanted to get to, right? Yeah. Because, like, I just think it's it's asking a lot of a coach when a guy is fighting in his UFC debut and getting beat up on the feet, especially someone who's French Special Forces, who you know is just so tough and who has dealt with all of these different things in his professional life outside of fighting, I think it's asking a lot of a coach to just chuck the towel and stop the fight in a guy's UFC debut. So while I would have liked to have seen that happen, Ray, for coaches like you and for Ken Flo, yeah. I think it's asking a lot. Yeah, it's 100% asking a lot. But look, the older I get, the more I'm you know, I'm going to err on the side of caution. Right. That I can tell you, when I was younger, maybe it was a little different, but – you know, yeah, you, you get older, you really just don't want to see anybody get hurt. It's it's just paramount. Um, it, it's it's tricky. 
Yeah, this one. Yeah, I you know I, I would I, love to. Back, I'm gonna I'll pull up some some worse cases than that. That the pe- refs are still refing. Well, you know and, yeah, I, mean? and, and I don't know why that that is because they should have been pulled. But there's yeah. a way worse cases I've seen than what I saw the other day. Well, and, and Cody asked what was worse sitting sitting Octagon side this one or Ferguson Gaethje, and Ferguson Gaethje was far worse to watch for me than this was, you know. Um, but uh, I do think Benoit Saint-Denis' yeah. career was shortened by several years with this fight, and that is not at all what he's looking for. And he's Kenny, he's a good fighter, you know. He really yeah. is. He was undefeated, outstanding Brazilian jiu-jitsu guy, probably going to try to fight at 55. So yo, I also have that in the back of my mind that he's right. just sort of – stepping up a division against a guy in Dos Santos that has been in the top yeah. 10 of the world, a guy who's had a seven fight winning streak in the UFC at one point in time, you know? So, um, you know, yeah, that, 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 that was a tough one, you know? And again, that he put an exclamation point on it when he took that point away and just didn't. Right. I just, that's when I just completely turned on the guy. <laughs> I go, this is now it's, yeah. now it's like, a, yeah. and the look, he just had the look of just lackadaisical. Like it's no big deal. It was yeah. a little, it wasn't a good look. The UFC was, I think the regulatory body. Am I correct with that for this fight? Yes. Yep. So they, they had to do that because they had to be able to say, look, <clears throat> we were the regulatory. We got rid of them. If we let that guy stay, I think it's a blemish. Right. On, so they did the yeah. right thing and they pulled that guy off and, yep. uh, Again, send them yeah, back. Mark to the Ratner. Uh, Mark Ratner sent me a message. He will not be officiating anymore this evening. Yeah. It was kind of funny when all the referees and officials went for a group shot at the end of the night. I hate to pile on, but they were taking a group photo, uh, and this dude who shall remain nameless was sort of on the outside looking in. And I saw somebody be like, "Get in the picture." And it's like. All right, I'll yeah. get in the fucking picture. But, you know, it's hard because this guy goes back to his life. And I think he was like 0-5 as a pro MMA fighter, you know. But this career um, is probably going away for him. It's it's just hard. It's, you know, for this, you look it over. We're all human beings at the end of the day. Ray, we only have a couple minutes, so I need to ask you about Raging Ally Quinta, who is in a fight week for the first time in a very long time. Uh, are you excited? Very excited. You know, very, very excited. So, this is the week, buddy. He's right now. He feels good. Uh, spoke with him last night. Actually, watched the fights with him on Saturday. Uh, the fights we caught at the gym. We just fucking hung out with a couple of people and watched the fights. And uh, yeah, everything's good. He's excited, and that's all that matters to me. I know he's going to go in and give it his all for fifteen minutes, like he always does. And I expect this to be a really, really fun, fun fight. Because Bobby Green's tough. Ray, right? I assume all the hard training is done at this point. Yes. You were sparring, just kind of cruising yeah. into the weight. Yeah, a little yeah. Bit. especially with a health is wealth with him. So, yeah, yeah, he feels good. I don't even want to take any chances. Let's do it. He's a he's a born fighter anyway. It's not with him. It's right. not. Yeah. You're not changing anything in five days. You know, it is what it is right now. And I'm excited for it. All right. Well, I'm excited to shake your hand and see you in a couple of days. I don't know if I'm going to make it out to the gym, but we'll pick that up offline and uh, appreciate you, my brother. You got anything else before we let you fly? Uh, man, did anything? I think we're good. I yeah. think we're good, right? Wait, right. Hey, good luck preparing everybody for Piotr Jan. What was that? Good luck preparing for Piotr Jan. <laughs> hey, uh, listen. Congrats, I'm just kidding. Congrats to Peter Jan. He looked absolutely unstoppable. Yeah, yeah he's yeah. – he became a bigger problem over the weekend for sure. So, uh, but that's what makes uh, that's what makes this game, man. It's exciting, and anything can happen. You zig when you should have zagged. Fight's over, you know. Yeah. So, it's going to be fun. But anyway, Joe, I'm going to give you a buzz later offline. 
All right, buddy. Thank you, Ray. Right, take, it you, Ray. Kenny, take it easy, man. All right, man. Ray Longo Minutes every week here on the Anik and Florian podcast. So for the first time, when Kamar Usman and Colby Covington met in the octagon, that battle lasted five rounds this Saturday at UFC 268. $5 can net you $200 with DraftKings Sportsbook, the official sports betting partner of UFC. That is right. New customers can bet just 5 bucks on either fighter in the main event. And if your guy cashes, Usman or Covington, you get $200 in free bets. Can the Nigerian Nightmare hold on to his welterweight title, or will Chaos exact his revenge and potentially set up that trilogy? Well, for you, you just bet 5 bucks on the main event and win $200 if your fighter wins. DraftKings Sportsbook layout is great. I can assure you DraftKings is safe, secure, and reliable. And, of course, you can deposit and withdraw your cash whenever you want. They honestly couldn't have made the process any easier. So get in on the action this weekend. Download the DraftKings Sportsbook app now. Use promo code ANIC. Throw down just $5 on the UFC 268 main event on either Usman or Covington and win $200 in free bets if your fighter wins. That's code ANIC, A-N-I-K, this Saturday at DraftKings Sportsbook, official sports betting partner of UFC. Must be 21 or older. New customers only. Restrictions apply. See DraftKings.com slash Sportsbook for details gambling problem call 1-800-GAMBLER by the way also on the DraftKings front on my Instagram at John underscore Anik we will have another odds boost for you in advance of UFC 268 this past Saturday you may have seen we gave you a two-leg parlay under one and a half rounds on Shimaev Jingliang under two and a half rounds on Bohovic Teixeira so that normally would pay at plus 265 but then DraftKings they boosted for you in the sports book so they pushed it up to plus 320 Tremendous value when they bake it in that way. And uh, and by the way, cash plus 320. Good hit over the weekend. All right. UFC 268 beckons in five sleeps. Let us get to the main event challenge. It's the main event challenge. And it. The time is most definitely now. I finished fights. I'm going to do everything possible to win. The main event challenge. The John Anik and Kenny Florian podcast. All right, joining us to make picks today, adding a little handsome to the program. A man we're hoping to have a, have a big role on the podcast heading into 2022. He's a 13-time UFC veteran who has won seven of his last eight overall. I actually have him on an eight-fight winning streak. But uh, it's James Krause, our 2020 winner of the Robert Follis Cornerman of the Year here on the show. It's good to see you, JK. How are you, man? I'm good, man. Thank you, guys. I'm super stoked to be a, be a part of the show, man. It's uh, it's pretty cool to, to to be able to get on here with you guys and chop it well, up. We, yeah, man. We have a lot of new things planned for the main event challenge next year. we got to figure out the scoring and how exactly Ken Flo and James are going to go head-to-head. Um, so are you heading to South Florida right after the show today? Is that where you're going? No, I'm, I'm headed to Dublin for Bellator. Dublin, okay. All right. So Dublin, Ireland. Who, who do you have there? James Gallagher. That's exciting. All right. Well, we won't keep you too long. Um, I want to ask you quickly just about what's going on in your life. I mean, obviously, you're balancing being the head coach of this gym and obviously your own fighting career. So your last fight, the win over Claudio Silva on Fight Island was last October, about a year ago. Your last two fights, you've stepped in as the replacement, almost stepped in again, obviously, on a day's notice a few (laughs) weeks ago. Um, Are you getting the itch at all to actually, you know, sign about agreement with a training camp um, against maybe somebody in that top 15. Like what's going on? It's really, it's really tough for me because I'm on the road every weekend, you know, like I think, I think of the last like eight or nine weeks, I've had one weekend where I didn't have a fighter on. So uh, it's really tough for me to say, Hey, like I'm going to fight somebody from two months from now. And uh, I guess I feel like I've committed to coaching these guys. I think we have 15 or 16 guys in the USC out of my gym now. And, uh, 
I'll be honest with you guys. Like if, if, if I never fight again, I'm, I'm good with what I've done in my career. You know, I'm, I'm, I'm really happy with it. I never set out to be a champion. I, I right. it's just not something I've ever been interested in. I really don't care. Uh, I wanted three things whenever I, whenever I hung up my gloves, I was, one was, uh, to be financially free from, uh, you know, at least start making money from, from fighting. I've done that, go out on a win. I've done that. And then I, I never wanted the UFC to kind of like give me that little nudge and be like, Hey man, you've lost three in a row. You know, it's time for you to leave. So I've got, I'm out on a win. I've, I've done well for myself financially. And, uh, you know, I can kind of pick and choose my battles right now. So if I never fight again, I'm good with it. You know, but the but the short notice stuff that everybody kind of like steers away from yeah. for whatever reason, I'm drawn to that. I don't know right. why, but, right. uh, you know. There's just so many green stripes on your Wikipedia page that I commend you. It's almost like a <laughs> lack of ego in a lot of respects, though, that you aren't necessarily – hyper focused on your own greatness because yeah. you know i do think you are very competitive against a lot of guys in that top 15 all right let us make the Thank picks you. and it's great to have you and i know it's a busy day so we appreciate you squeezing us in let's start at middleweight and the reason we're picking this fight is really personal curiosity because it's pretty close on the number some might be surprised that nasordini mavov the lesser known quantity here is the minus 125 favorite against edmund shabazian shabazian plus 105 he's dropped two in a row james last of which came to jack Hermanson may 22nd on the other side he Mabov stopped Ian Heinish in July. Um, we'll see if he can take Shabazian's ranking. How do you see this one playing out, kid? Yeah, this is a really competitive fight to me. Uh, I like uh, Mabov a lot. Um, but I, I feel like, you know, if you look at Shabazian, he, he's he's lost two in a row to two of the elites in the division, right? Like, And I feel like he's kind of getting dis, uh, disrespected on this line a little bit. Uh for, for me, this is kind of a coin flip fight. So if 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 that's the case, I'm always going to take whoever has plus money on this one. And, and in that case, uh, you know, my short answer is going to be I'm going to take Shabazian just uh, from a, from a betting perspective alone. If I get Shabazian at plus money on this one on a coin flip fight, I gotta I gotta take that. I do, however, think this is going to be an extremely competitive fight back and forth. I could see this going both ways, and uh, this is going to be one of those fights where, as a fan, I'll be I'll be really happy to kind of sit back and and uh, and watch this one. Yeah, I'm with you, Ken Flo. So for the second straight week, week here, you got an unranked fighter favored to beat the number 11 guy in their division last week. It was Chimaev over Li Jingliang. What do you think about uh, Imavov and Shabazzian here, kid? Yeah, listen, I, I think James is spot on with this one. This is a pick em fight. Uh, I am going to go the other way. I, I, I like Imavov in this fight. Um, I, I think he is uh, vastly underrated. I think Shabazian has a ton of potential as well. Um, but uh, I would like to see his grappling, uh, I guess, improve a little bit more or, or like to see better improvements in that regard. But, um, you know, still very talented, still very dangerous on the feet. But I think Imavov's just a little bit more consistent. Um, and I don't know. I, th I think he's someone to watch, man, someone to keep your eyes on. Uh, so I, I like him. All right, next prelim for us at 155 pounds. Bobby Green minus 170, the favorite ally of Quinta plus 150. James, you fought Bobby Green in what was the second UFC appearance for both him and you back in 2013. Uh, your thoughts on his chances against Raging Al? I got to be honest, guys. This is this is my my best play of the week. Uh, I, I feel like Bobby Green is consistently and grossly underrated, and uh, I, against Al. When I when I look at this fight, I think I think we're talking about a couple different things here. If we're talking about who I think is going to win, and and uh, this fight doesn't change for me either way, but who I think is going to win and who I'm betting on could be two different things, right? Like in the in the last fight, I just said it's a pick 'em fight, you know, so I have to take who's on on plus money. So I would take Shabazzin. I'm obvious is super tough, and I definitely I I could see him winning. But in this fight, 
I feel like Green is just constantly disrespected. And when I look at Al, his his lack of inactivity, Al's I mean, he's amazing. Obviously, he's he, he honestly he probably fought Khabib one of if not the best. Uh, and really, for me, he showed that Khabib uh, his open mat wrestling isn't isn't insane. It's his cage wrestling. You know, he stopped takedowns for three rounds. You know, Al is insane. Uh, he's he's an amazing competitor. However, I think Bobby Green is grossly disrespected. Uh, throughout the lines and my my one knock against bobby is sometimes he will let fights uh he will kind of compete or he'll go with people and he very rarely pulls ahead of people right he, you know you see him in a ton of split decision losses yeah. and sometimes he'll get the the other side of it uh he typically will lose those close fights so because he's so, so good at that shoulder roll it looks like he's getting hit clean but he's actually not yeah. um and i can tell you from experience he's an extremely extremely difficult person to land clean against like very very difficult his pressure is good his uh he's he's posed he's postured he's composed when he gets in there uh he's a very good veteran i i like bobby green a lot in this fight i think he's got good volume i think his counter boxing is going to do really good against al al's uh lack of inactivity kind of scares me a little bit uh, i know he's been plagued with injuries and stuff in the past for those reasons i really have to lean bobby green hard on this one yeah, chronic knee injuries for Ally Quinta. So Bobby Green Kenny has fought six times since Ally Quinta last graced the octagon. The loss to Dan Hooker at UFC 243, October 2019. What do you think about this one, Kenny Green and Ally Quinta? Yeah, listen, it, it's a tall task for for Ally Quinta here. Um, you know, for all the reasons that James mentioned, I think Bobby is uh, very underrated. I, I think he's as tough as they come. Um, you know. Again, but I think that Al is a competitor. I think that for a lot of guys who have been outside of the octagon for that long, I think it would be way more difficult for a lot of other guys. Al tends to shine brightest when the lights come on. Um, he always is game. I think he has the potential to go toe-to-toe -to -toe with Green. He's got an excellent chin, but I think the, the smartest path to victory for him is to use that wrestling uh, and try to put Bobby on his back. I think that's where Al has the best chance. Can he trade with him? Sure. Is that the smartest thing to do against someone like Bobby Green? Probably not. Uh, but I, I do think Al can go out there and get the win uh, here. Um, I, I know he has been, uh, you know, plagued with injuries, particularly that knee. Uh, but I like Al here. I, I like the underdog here. Um, and we'll keep things interesting. I'm going the opposite way of James. Yeah, James he's keeping here. things interesting. <laughs> he's trying to not piss off Longo. I wish I had a chance to pick against Longo's guys every fucking show. Marab could be a six to one favorite. And I'd be like, I'm going with the short notice guy. All right, James, I'm very curious to see where you fall on this one. The main card opener on pay-per-view at 135 pounds. I thought Cheeto Vera would be closer to minus 200. He's minus 165. Frankie Edgar's plus 145. Some hinting this could be Frankie's retirement fight. He turned 40 October 16th. Last fight, of course, a knockout loss to Sandhagen in February, but did look good against Pedro Munoz a few months prior to that. Uh, on the other side, Cheeto's on everybody's all-violence team, trying to make it three wins in his last four. James Krause, who do you have? Man, I got to be honest. It's... <sighs> The the when you say Cheeto minus two hundred, I know that's not the line right now. I think it's closer to one hundred and sixty. Is that what you said? Uh, yep. I, depending on what day you ask me, uh, man, I I I agree with the line. I agree with the line, and it probably should be a little higher. Uh, you're probably right there. Probably closer to two hundred. But I I've seen Frankie in this spot before. You know what I mean? Like I've seen him in this spot before. If you guys remember when he fought Yair, uh, and I know this has been some time. No, that's uh, a good example, though. 
Yeah, I mean, he was counted out, and and I, I, I'm listen. The way the MMA has been working lately, I don't know. So it's it's been it's been a, a crazy past two weeks for me, but I. I could see all the things would point to Cheeto going out, dominating this fight, possibly finishing. All I'm saying is, is I would not be surprised if Frankie wrestled his way to a decision. That's all I'm saying. Um, and if we're talking about from a betting, a betting perspective here, what I would do is I would look at Cheeto at minus 160 because I think that's a great price, to be honest with you guys. I think Cheeto at minus 160 here is a phenomenal price. And then you hedge the other side at Frankie – by decision and you'll probably get you'll probably get a good hedge somewhere in yeah. there to where it's almost hard you know I, I don't see frankie knocking cheeto out cheeto is extremely durable the only only path to victory here that i see for frankie is by decision wrestling his way so for me the way i would play this is i would go i would go cheeto uh straight up and it's you know you're gonna pay for it minus 160 or minus up to minus 200 whatever and then right. you go frankie by decision because really that's the only path to victory that i see and you'll get good money you'll get good plus money on that because he's already the underdog and then you're picking the the actual method of victory right. as well right. so i think you'll hedge and you'll make money on that no matter what I certainly think that's sage advice. If you are betting the Frankie side, maybe finding a proposition number around plus 180, plus 200 on him by decision. Uh, Ken Flo, Cheeto Frankie, your thoughts? Great stuff there from James. Listen, uh, I like Frankie here in this spot as well. You know, you know, can I see Cheeto winning? Of course. The guy's dangerous as hell. He's good everywhere. Um, you know, and, and I just love his attitude. I love his uh, commitment to train hard and go out there and kick ass. Uh, but it's hard for me, you know, a, a guy who kind of came around my era to, to pick against him. Uh, yeah. Frankie is also one of those guys that, man, when you cut him out, that's when he's most dangerous. It looks like he's been training his ass off. And if this is last fight, if this is his last fight and he knows this is his last training camp, he, he's going out, you know, guns blazing, man. So, um, you know, I, I, I think Frankie can get it done here. Uh, I like Frankie uh, to win by decision against a very tough and always game Cheeto Vera. And, of course, with that Madison Square Garden backdrop, that Frankie Edgar uh, walk yeah. to the Octagon. I guess it's a run, but that Frankie Edgar run to the Octagon is going to be something special. All right. At featherweight, not the fight during which to get up and go grab a Modelo. Shane Burgos minus 210. Billy Quarantello plus 175. So Billy Q, a little bit under the radar, 4-1 and one in the UFC. But as such here, getting a shot at a ranked opponent. Burgos number 14. James needs a win, though. Back-to-back -back losses for him coming in against Josh Emmett and Edson Barboza. Burgos about a 2-1 to one favorite. Your thoughts? Um, yeah, I, I mean, I love both these guys a ton. Uh, I follow both these guys on, on social media. They, you know, they're, I'm, I uh, communicate with both these guys back and forth. I like these guys a lot. It's really tough for me to, to, to give it a pick here, but this my I'm going to put my you know my my emotions aside and I'm going to think from an analytical brain here. When I look at this, I look at Burgos coming off two losses in a row. But who are those losses to? Josh Emmett, Edson Barbosa. I mean, we're talking about the elite of the elite of the elite of the division. Uh, two big powerhouses that honestly, both those guys, especially Emmett, doesn't get the credit that he deserves. I think it's because he's not super active. But that dude was a hammer, man. He is cool. so good. Yeah, um, he really is. And and Burgos Burgos has has shown that he's he's a force in that division too. He's just lost to two of the elites. When I look at Quarantillo, he's been beating he's been beating these guys, but his his big fight, the best guy he's fought, uh Gavin Tucker, I believe, is is the is the one that kind of gave him the most issues. So it's a, to me this is a big step up for Quarantillo. And uh this is 
in my opinion, a must win for Burgos. Uh, I like when I when I look at this, I look at uh, strength of schedule. And, and if I can just remove myself emotionally, strength of schedule goes heavy on Burgos, right? Burgos has had a much tougher uh, schedule than Cortillo has. Uh, and that, and he's shown that even in those losses, he, he was in those fights. You know yeah, what I mean? Like he was in those fights and he could have, he could have, uh, he could have won both those fights. You know what I mean? Like they, they weren't, he wasn't getting blown out of the water by any means. So for that reason, I, I would, I would, I would tend to lean, uh, I would tend to lean Burgos. However, I'm going to give you an asterisk on this one. Uh, that knockout was pretty rough. The last one, the, the Barbosa, Barbosa yeah, one, you always got to wonder how somebody recovers from that. And Corntillo is going to be a guy that, you know, 13 and a half minutes in, he's going to keep coming. He's young. He's got great cardio. He hits hard. He's going to be there. And, uh, I, you know, if, if I'm him, I look to press Burgos hard and I want to test that chin, see if he's recovered. Um, if you got a gun to my head, I got to make a pick. I'm going to, I'm going to lean Burgos though. All right. Nicely done with the breakdown. Ken Flo, a couple of New York guys here. I don't know which way the Boston guy is going to go. Burgos Corintella, who do you like? Dude, listen, we got Gaethje on the card. We got Chandler on the card. We got Nami Yunus, Usman Covington. But for me, this is the most exciting fight on the card. I, yeah. There's no way this fight isn't a banger. Like, just the way that both these guys compete – it's going to be ridiculous, and, and if it does go the distance, um, it, it will be a classic. So, uh, for me, you know, I, I think James made uh, you know pretty much all the points out there. Burgos has had um, the stiffer competition, and for Billy Q, you know, uh, his strength is the fact that he is an absolute madman. His weakness is the fact that he's an absolute madman. <laughs> you right. know, sometimes he gets too wild out there. And yeah. going against a very precise, heavy-handed guy like Burgos, um, you got to be really careful. Um, and and Quarantillo, Quarantillo can 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 uh, crack as well. I, I think he stays active all the time as well. I think he could potentially get it done on the grappling side. Uh, I think that's probably where he has his best chance here against Burgos. But uh, Burgos is seasoned, man. He's been in there with a lot of tough guys. Um, I think it's going to be an amazing fight. Uh, unfortunately, I, I got to go against uh, Billy Q, man. It, it, it pains me to say that, but yeah. uh, I like Burgos here. I think Burgos probably get it done, uh, gets it done by decision, but uh, I think it's going to be an exciting fight. That's for sure. Fading the longtime Anakin Florian podcast supporter Billy Corintello. Ken, now you're making me feel bad. Get out! Come of on, bro. I love Billy Q. All right, featured bout at 155 pounds. Justin Gaethje minus 210. Michael Chandler plus 175. James Gaethje is back for the first time since that title shot against Khabib. That was more than a year ago in October of 2020. He's a two to one favorite here against Michael Chandler. What do you think? Uh, this is the most violent man title, you know. Uh, yes. This is this is a great fight. Kenny said the Burgos uh, Billy Q fight was was the one he's looking at. This is the one I'm looking at, and uh, man, I can't imagine this being anything else but insane. Uh, <laughs> when I look at this fight, once again, I try to remove my emotion from it because I'm all giddy like a little kid for this matchup. But when I look at this from an analytical breakdown, I look at a guy. Um, I look at Gaethje, who who is arguably one of the best low kickers in the game against a guy that has historically had issues dealing with the low kick in the past. Uh, I, I do feel like Gaethje going to play that nice shell style. That'll keep him safe. I feel like if, if Gaethje can get out of the first, the first five to seven and a half minutes uh, and th this fights, this fights 15 minutes, right? 
Yeah, three rounds. three rounds, three five minute rounds. Okay, so that that actually helps Chandler out a little bit, I think, because as, as if this was a twenty five minute fight, I, I would favor Gaethje even more. Uh, but I do feel like if Gaethje can get out of the first five minutes, maybe even the the second half of the the second round or the first half of the second round, I do feel like he's gonna start to pull away a little bit. Uh, you know, uh, Chandler's so explosive though; he can he can get anybody out of there in one punch. I, I would really like to see that old Gaethje style, that shell low kick, shell low kick. I think if he goes back to his old ways, he's gonna he's gonna end up finding that leg and uh, start to cause some balance issues for Chandler. Be able to find the punches. This is an insane matchup though. Uh, Chandler can get anybody out of there in one punch. Gun to my head, I gotta go. Uh, I gotta go, Gaethje here. The the low kick is going to be the difference maker for me. A guy that is one of the best low kickers in all of MMA versus a guy yeah. that's historically had issues with that. Yeah, Ken Flo, this is certainly the fight that jumps off the card for me. Gaethje and Chandler, lightweight title eliminator. Who do you have? Uh, this fight's uh, absolutely brilliant. Um, you know, listen, I, I think that uh, not only the leg kicks for Gaethje, but I also think that he just might be the more disciplined guy out there. You know, I was really surprised by Chandler and his approach against Oliveira. It was like, dude, that's not where you want it. You're going to go to the ground. You're going to chase him down to the ground right now. What are you doing? So I don't know if he makes the best decisions out there. I think he is so gifted as an athlete. Um, and can he win this fight? Absolutely. Um, but I just think he's going to, uh, you know, get sucked into throwing down against Gaethje. And I don't think that's a good thing. I, I think Gaethje hits a little bit harder. Um, he's, they're both nasty. Um, but I think Gaethje, uh, you know, uh, has been in this spot, uh, here in the UFC many times. Um, I, I like the way that he's really adapted over the course of his career here in the UFC and, um, yeah, I, I think I think Gaethje wins this. Uh, absolutely. But I, I think either way, it's going to be an awesome fight. And I'll be surprised if this one goes the distance. I can't even wait for the stare down on Thursday. You know, never mind fight night. I'm just excited to see them get up in each other's faces. All right. Co-headliner. Very close on paper per DraftKings Sportsbook. Zhang Weili minus 115. Slightly favored right now over Rose Namajunas, who comes back minus 105. We will take your round and method of victory, boys, as this is a title fight. So it's a rematch of their title fight, which took place in April, lasted just 78 seconds. And I will just submit to you, James Krause, Rose Namajunas, 3-0 thus far in rematches against Tisha Torres, Jessica Andrade, and Ioana Jacek. How do you handicap her chances as a slight dog here against John Whitley? Man, this was a really tough one for me because we didn't really get a lot of information from the first one. You know, uh, and, and I... I can't tell you guys why. I, I don't know why. I don't have a good answer for this. I, I wish I did. But, like, I don't – I obviously rate Rose extremely high. She's very good. But I never – I for I always fade her for some reason. Like, I don't – I'm not saying that I play against her. But, like, I, I very rarely am I – when I go into a matchup with her, am I like, I like Rose in that. Right, right. And I, and I can't tell you why. I don't know why. I, you know what I mean? I'm not sure. Uh, she's obviously extremely skilled. She's amazing. She's a, a phenomenal striker. Great jujitsu. Um, I, I wish I could tell you guys why. I don't know why. Yeah, um, yeah. I I want to lean Wei Li by by decision here. And uh, if I remember right, the line was about the same the first time that they fought. And we just don't really have any more information this time around. Uh, I said Wei Li by decision there. I think she got caught. 
you know, that, and I'm not saying it was lucky or anything like that, but I, 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 my brain, my analytical brain wants to go like, Hey, if that doesn't happen, how would this fight play out? And I still, last time I said I would take Whaley by decision. So I, and I naturally want to, I naturally want to go to that again. So I'm going to go Whaley by decision, but man, I could just be an idiot here. And I, you know what I mean? Like, I, I don't, I don't, I can't tell you guys why I, I'm not, I don't know. Yeah, no, I, I get it though. Right. There are just some fighters that for whatever reason, uh, sort of, that's the way you feel. Um, Kenny, I don't have a prediction. I'll say over 78 seconds. I think we're going to get a longer fight this time around. Yeah. Um, what do you think about the rematch here for the UFC strawweight title? Gosh, you know, um, th- this is a tough one. I, I-, I think, you know, I-, I don't want to put words in James's mouth, but, you know, I think for Rose, confidence has kind of been an issue for her over the course. I didn't want to say it. I'm glad you yeah. did. You said yeah. this is okay. your words, All not right. mine. So, no, so it always seems like, you know, is she going to be on? When she's on, dude, watch out. She'll beat anybody. But if she's She's off, anybody could beat her. So I I get it, James. I I know exactly what you're saying, man. Um, You know, I uh, that said, I have been a, a fan of Rose for a long time because I've always seen that potential. Um, I don't always feel confident picking her, but I do think this is a Rose Namunas that is finally believing in her skills. I, I, I really believe that. And I think that, you know, hearing her say, I'm the champion, like I remember hearing uh, stories about her, you know, they wanted to put the belt away. They like hid it in a closet because they didn't want it to overwhelm them or change their perspective and stuff like that. And, you know, to me, I was like, you know, I, I don't know. It, it, it seems like she's not feeling it. She's not accepting. She's not believing who she is. But now I, I'm buying it. I, I think, you know, that last performance against Zhang Weili, even though it was quick, uh, I think it, it did kind of prove to herself that uh, the kind of potential that she has. Do I think it's going to be a short fight like the last one? No, I think it's going to be a more difficult fight. However, you mentioned that stat, 3-0 in rematches for Rose Namajunas. I love yeah. it. I love it here. I think she wins by finish in round three. Um, you know, I, I think it's going to be a fantastic fight while it lasts. Uh, but uh, yeah, this is this is this is going to be a fun card, man. Loser has to grow their hair out for a year. Zhang Wei Li and Rose Namajunas. <laughs> so whoever loses can't get a haircut for a fight. I like year. it. All right, main event. How good is this, man? Kamar Usman minus three twenty. Colby Covington plus two fifty. We'll take your round. Your method. A little backdrop for you. Just one appearance for Colby since the first meeting at UFC 245, which was December of 2019. Covington then finished Tyron Woodley September of 2020. So he has had more than a year off. And in that time, Usman successfully defending the belt against both Gilbert Burns and Jorge Masvidal. So Usman going for a fifth successful defense, James, and a 15-0 and start in the UFC. He's a 3-1 to favorite. What do you think? He's incredible, man. He he really is. And I'll, I'll be honest with you guys, as much as I would like to see, as much as I would like to see Colby win this title and kind of like shake things up, I'm always, right. I'm always that guy. That's all, you know what I mean? Like I wanted to see Chael win the title just to, just for the right. chaotic, you know what I mean? <laughs> right. Like just show me chaos. I want mass chaos here. Uh, I would love to see Colby be a champion and just start rattling off on everybody. I don't think he's gonna. I don't think he's gonna do that though. Uh, Usman's improvement has been incredible. I mean, how many how many champions can you say that you can like you can visually see Usman getting better every single time? His striking has gotten better. You just don't you don't see that like a champion. He's he's getting better. Like that's in, that's insane. And I don't I don't know if we've uh, has Colby fought since the last time? Maybe once. Just one. One yeah. time. And and Usman's fought three times. 
twice. Twice. Since, well, okay. I guess probably three fights, but twice since uh, well, two or three. But he's been far more active, you know. Yeah, yeah, he's been way more active, and he's he's showing consistent consistent improvement. Uh, I like Usman a lot in this. Uh, this is another great example of where I would hedge the other side. Uh, there's three plays in here that I would do. I would take Usman straight up. I would sprinkle. Uh, Usman by TKO, and then I would hedge the other side for uh, Colby by decision because the odds on that are going to be – you'll get big plus money on that anyway. Uh, and, and I think if you do that, Colby, in my opinion, doesn't have the power to finish Usman. If Colby wins, it's going to be by decision. So, like, I don't want to say it's guaranteed profit, but the odds of you winning those plays are going to be really good. You know, if you take Usman straight up, hedge with uh, Colby by decision, I really like that. I, yeah. All that being said, I, I, I think Usman's going to – control this fight i don't think it's going to be as close as the first time around uh and and i would not be surprised if you've seen usman win by tko either all right so the official prediction is what uh usman by decision usman by decision all right ken flo usman covington take two saturday night madison square garden Anik, you found a good one, man. I got my work cut out for me in 2022 against uh, Mr. Krause here. My goodness. All right. Well, listen, I, I agree with him. I, I think it's going to be another uh, very good fight. You know, we've also seen Colby make huge improvements as well. Uh, I think he's a guy that is tough to kind of, um, you know, count out. We, we, we've seen him make huge improvements with his striking. And I think that if he made certain adjustments, he can win this fight. Now, the problem is what James talked about, is that it's Kamar Usman that also continues to get better. Uh, he's getting more confident. He's getting more comfortable in the octagon. Uh, and he's feeling himself as well, man. So I, I can't go against Usman. You know, similar to uh, what James was talking about with Rose, I think at the middle of his career, I wasn't so sure about Usman. I wasn't sure if he would be a champ. I, I wasn't on that bandwagon. I'm on now, you know, I, I've, I've counted him out and, uh, you know, last few fights I, I've picked him to win and, um, he, he just has changed my mind completely. This guy uh, is well on his way to becoming one of the best champions we have seen, and he's doing it at 170 pounds in a division where George St. Pierre made his name. So uh, I've been blown away by his performances. I like him here. I actually think he does get the win. And, and Colby, Colby is an absolute beast, man. He, he, he's amazing. And uh, But I think Usman gets it done by finish, by TKO, round four. Uh, let's go. All right, TKO round four for Usman is the pick from Ken Flo. Uh, and if you want more from James Krause on social media, you can find him at the James Krause. Great to have you, my man. Safe travels. Bring home a big win, and uh, we look forward to talking to you next Monday, my brother. Thank man, you thank time. you guys so much for having me. I really appreciate it. Great stuff, my man. Dude. There he is, James Krause. I got him on an eight-fight winning streak, by the way, Ken Flo in the UFC right now. And, he's but an again, animal, he's man. he's an outstanding coach. And it was interesting when we were handing out our AFPAs uh, last year. And some people were surprised that I gave James Krause my Robert Fallis Cornerman of the Year because oftentimes our awards are reserved for coaches and cornermen who either win titles or – but the way I, I saw him handle these young athletes last year and the way I saw him coach, uh, he was the name that I settled on. And uh, obviously I know him a lot more now than I did then, but uh, – yeah, excited to have part of the show. You know what I liked is that you know he, he's one of he's one of the smartest fighters uh, out there. He's one of the best coaches out there. Uh, what I liked was I he kind of sounded like how I feel when I'm picking fights, where it's like you've been around the sport for a long time, you study the game, 
but you're you're not confident in your picks almost. Yeah, it's like you right, know that right. chaos can come into that octagon at any point. You're like, I don't know, man. I think right. this guy. Well, but uh, anyways, it, it was awesome having him on the show, and he, he's going to be a great addition uh, as we move forward, man. And uh, yeah, this card's going to be awesome as well. And I would just say I do see value on Colby Covington at plus 250. And Colby yeah, Covington sure. did an interview with Brett Okamoto from ESPN.com, and – Colby sort of intimated that if there wasn't an early stoppage in that fight, and I did think Goddard's stoppage, as much as I love Mark, was a little bit premature. If there wasn't an early stoppage and that fight had gone five rounds, Kenny, this rematch would have probably come around even earlier for Colby Covington. I know he only had to win that one fight against Tyron Woodley, and he was able to finish it. But again, imagine if that fight, which was an absolute classic at UFC 245, one of the best title fights I've ever seen, if it goes the 25 minutes and Colby... Here's that final horn. Maybe they get these two right back in the octagon. So uh, I think he certainly has earned it even just with the one win. And uh, we'll see what Colby Covington can do. And in terms of the chaos, it would be, uh, no pun intended, but it would be absolutely crazy if uh, we're doing the show next week and Colby Covington is the undisputed champ. It and could happen. Kamal Usman, his first UFC loss. All right. Today's pick to click is presented by Oddshark.com, the most reliable source for sports betting information with the latest odds, insight, and analysis on everything UFC I'd encourage you to check out oddshark.com slash UFC to get all you need to know before you place your bets on UFC 268 this weekend. That Oddshark Fight Center, an outstanding resource for not just fans, but the media as well. It's got all the matchup information compartmentalized, and they're experts, not just my man Joe Osborne, but across the board. These guys are entertaining, they are thorough, and they have been invested in mixed martial arts and capping MMA for a very long time. Check it out in advance of UFC 268, oddshark.com slash UFC. Don't forget the second S. Let's get to the pick to click. Time now for the pick to click. The pick to click. All I have to do is bet on the winner and I'll never lose. The John Anik and Kenny Florian podcast. All right. And joining us as usual here during a UFC pay-per-view week. If for no other reason than to lift me up with his energy is the great Joe Osborne on social media at JTFOZ on Twitter and at Paper Chaser Joe on Instagram. Great to see you, my friend. Happy Halloween. Guys, back to back weeks. We should be doing yes. a show. We should be doing a daily show together, the three of us. You know, not just talking MMA, weighing in Let's on politics, it. the vaccine, economics. You wow. know, people people want to hear this type of stuff from us. So uh, we'll it's we'll true. discuss. Imagine the numbers we would do, right? If my twin brother could have any co-host in the sports <laughs> media space, it would be Joe fucking Osborne. Just don't give him Randy Couture. He was so upset when oh, Randy really? Couture interrupted his guy Ken Flo all week. He's like sending me clips at Abu Dhabi. He's like, dude, if, if, if Randy interrupts Ken Flo again, I'm turning off the TV. We love you, Randy. We love you. All right. So as I understand it, there are three big fights on this card, and you Absolutely. will have some sort of wager on all of them or at least a lean. So let's start yeah. with Justin Gaethje and Michael Chandler. Mm. Minus 210 on one side for Gaethje, plus 175 for Michael Chandler. Obviously, there are going to be propositions and other things. But as I sit here and talk to you, all the pro fighters I've talked to are picking Justin Gaethje. I'm curious how you handicap this lightweight eliminator of sorts at 155 pounds. Yeah, I would be aligned with all the pro fighters. I don't exactly love this fight from a betting perspective, though. You know, a minus 200 range for Gaethje. Maybe a little bit overvalued here against uh, Michael Chandler, who's uh, you know an incredible fighter. Getting him a plus 160, I could see an argument for that. But if I am giving out a pick for this fight, I would go Gaethje by a TKO slash KO. Coming in right at even money. Not that bad of a bet. Not the best value, though. Like I said, you know, 
KG has been in 12 straight fights, guys, that have all been finished inside of the distance, right. which is crazy, right? That nine of those victories belong to him, all of which come in by TKO slash KO. Now, you take a look at Michael Chandler. He's been knocked out twice in his last five fights and, you know, has kind of shown maybe a low fighter IQ at some points. He should be wearing that championship belt right now. You know, he had Charles Oliveira towards the end of the first round. You know, if he let him back up, he probably would have won that fight. He'd probably be fighting. <laughs> That's important. Did you guys discuss this earlier or something? Yeah, yeah. Is that why? Hit on exactly that point, yeah. <laughs> yeah, so, you, you know, I, I could see that popping up. It also takes his one little split-second mistake, right? And I wouldn't be shocked if we see that here in this one. And, you know, ultimately what we've seen from Justin Gaethje is that he's become a much smarter fighter when he first came into the UFC out of the uh, the World Series of Fighting, he was all about that violence, right? Uh, land a shot, take a shot to land a shot type of guy. And then I think after a couple losses to Dustin Poirier and Eddie Alvarez, maybe they stepped back a little bit and said, okay, you know, do you want to be successful at this thing? Do you want to have some career longevity? Maybe uh, we should change the approach a little bit. And that change has worked out pretty damn good for him. So I will take him to win uh, TKO slash KO even money. Joe, um, Zhang Wei Li, Rose Namunis, we have the rematch. Uh, how are you seeing this one, man? Yeah, so last time around I was on the podcast, I picked Wei Li. And basically, you know, I wasn't very interested in going against her 21-fight win streak at the time. However, in the back of my mind, I knew I kind of disregarded that uh, many of the victims on that 21-fight win streak aren't exactly to the level of Rose and top-ranked strawweights in the UFC here. Um, so and that absolutely blew up in my face, right? We saw what Rose did in the first round of the fight. But, you know, take a look at the big picture here for Rose. She has some very impressive performances, some very impressive finishes at this level versus better competition. So I'm going to take her to win here. And I think these odds are fantastic. Minus 110, basically even on each side here. And I think that kind of indicates that maybe her victory was a fluke of sorts, which right, I would totally, right. I would totally disagree with that. You know, we've seen her finish opponents early before, ironically enough at Madison square garden, when right. she first captured the, uh, the strawweight championship versus a, you and you and Jay check there at UFC 217. So I'll take her to take care of business here. Minus 110. Ultimately, I think, think we need to see more from Wei Lee versus high level competition. Um, I was kind of, I guess I, I was I was fooled by that 21 fight win streak. You know, she's still a very good fighter, one of the best in the division. But we've seen Rose do it before. We've seen her do it more. So I will go with her at fantastic odds, in my opinion. And before I send everybody the odds prior to us taping the show, I always write what I think it would be. And I wrote down Nama Yunus minus 140. Uh, and I was okay, surprised, yeah. obviously, to see that she was uh, a slight dog in a lot of places. So I think that all makes a lot of sense. All right. Lastly, I'm very curious how you see this because James Krause and Kenny Florian both like Kamaru Usman. It's easy to see why, not just the 14 and 0 in the UFC, but just the constant improvement. Um, but I see plus 260 or so on the Covington side. I saw a fight that was definitely 2-2 going into the fifth round. So I do see a little value on the Covington side, even if my, I can't call them my contemporaries, but even if the experts disagree. Um, how do you handicap the main event and will you have a play? 
So what have we seen and what do we know out of these two guys? That's how I kind of handicap the fights. Like I'm not going to come on here and give a technical breakdown for a fight where we have a guy like Kenny, who's one of the best in the business at doing that. Right. Um, But I like Usman to win. But like I said, prior to when I was on last week, I'm not going to come on here and give out a minus 300 favorite. There's not a whole lot of interest in that. So I'll take Usman to win inside the distance coming in at around plus 140. So what have we seen and what do we know? What we've seen is Usman win a close fight. Maybe there was some controversy that it was stopped early. But, you know, you go back and look at the site, at all the stats for the fight. He finished the guy. He knocked him down twice. He totally rearranged his jaw. He uh, outlanded him by 32 significant strikes. And ultimately, he did stop him. So what have we seen since? Well, Usman's gone... 3-0, and he has evolved to, in my opinion, the top pound-for-pound fighter in all of the UFC. You cannot call this guy Camaro Snoozman anymore, right? You no, guys you remember I, I used to come <laughs> on all the time and take the Camaro Usman by decision, Camaro Usman over, uh, right. the round over-under betting. Uh, but now he's transformed into this incredible power puncher, back-to-back uh, wins via punches versus Gilbert Burns and Jorge Masvidal prior to coming into those fights. Those guys combined to be finished by strikes just twice in 74 combined fights. And Usman's knocking these guys out, right? So that's what we've seen from Usman. He's evolved into this incredibly well-rounded fighter. As for Covington, you know, he hasn't fought in a year. Uh, His last win was a dominant victory over Tyron Woodley. But we didn't exactly see anything new from him, you know. That fight, that victory was somewhat similar to his, uh, his win over Robbie Lawler, in my opinion. He didn't land as many strikes, but it was, you know, out-pressuring and outpacing his opponent and being very dominant. So what would Colby's path to victory here be? Is he going to out-pressure Usman? Is he going to outpace him? I think that's very unlikely. Is he going to out-wrestle a guy who hasn't been taken down once in his UFC right, career? Right. That's unlikely. You know, maybe he has some new tools, though. You know, we haven't seen him fight in a year. Usman has come out with new tools before, so you can make that argument, and maybe you can make the argument, you can keep your fingers crossed that hey, maybe Usman has a bad night. You know, we do see that from time to time in this sport. You can make an argument that Jan Blachowicz had a bad night the other night. It's kind of funny in this sport, UFC, like the sample sizes, guys might fight three times a year. Comparatively, in an NBA game, the Lakers can have a bad night, but they have two or three more chances the following week to make up for that, right? So it's just unlikely, though. That could happen, but I'll take Usman plus money to win inside the distance, you know, to kind of put a stamp on this uh, rivalry that he has with Covington. Covington, it would be different if he was finishing people by strikes and he was this amazing submission artist. But, you know, I just don't think that this style, which Usman has a very similar style, but I think his way of doing it is better. And now he has that punching power, right? So I will very happily take Usman to win inside the distance here. Yeah, and I know Ken Flo is going to follow you on that plus 140 Usman inside the distance, and uh, I thought you handled that breakdown beautifully, and we'll see. It's been an additional year at MMA Masters in Miami since the Tyron Woodley fight, so we'll see if there have been appreciable uh, improvements for Colby Covington. All right, if you want more from Joe Osborne, and why would you not at JTFOZ on Twitter and, of course, on Instagram at Paper Chaser Joe, my man, I appreciate your time. Uh, we're not going to wait till UFC 269 to have you back. We'll find a spot in the next few weeks, and uh, and we will talk to you then, my man. Thank you. Hey, guys, I look forward to it. Good luck with you. Good luck to you and good luck to all the listeners out there. Thank, Thank you, you my man. There he is.
Joel Osborne with us here on the Anakin Florian podcast. All right, a couple of housekeeping things on the way out. We should have done two shows this week, right? Because I didn't want to shortchange 267, but I'm looking at the clock and I'm like, oh man, Longo's about to be done. And once Krause comes on, that means we're turning the page to UFC 268. And right. uh, we haven't had a chance to talk about uh, Amanda Hebas or Magomed Ankalaev, and that's just the way it is. Volkan Uzdemir's eyebrow. You know, I want one of those in my eyebrow. My eyebrow is so goddamn thick. I think I could use a scar like that that would just take out half the hair. All right. Internship applications for 2022 are now closed. Thanks to everybody who reached out. Podcast at gmail.com. So we're going to pare it down to 12 candidates or so. Then we're going to figure out a way potentially for you guys to compete against each other for the spot. We may leverage our voicemail line, but we will announce our new Anakin Florian podcast intern for 2022 on an episode before the end of the year. Um, and I'm hoping that it's a woman, but uh, I think mostly it's guys who have been uh, who have been reaching out. <laughs> um, if you want any Anakin Florian podcast merchandise, we're constantly adding new styles. AnakinFlorianPodcast.com. I think AF10 is the code. Cody will correct me. Uh, if that is not the case, if you would like a discount, millions.co if you want the one more sleep gear. Um, Ken Flo's YouTube channel is off and running, of course. Uh, and don't forget, remember the show with Bilal Muhammad and Jason Anna coming up this Thursday night on this very channel. Very interested to see if uh, there's any Kamzat Chimayev talk out of Bilal on Remember the Show. Um, thank you to our guests, Ray Longo, James Krause, Joe Osborne. Thanks to Hasbullah for uh, the picture over the weekend. <laughs> 19 <laughs> years he, old. Did, did he clock you, by the way? He did not hit. He did not. I don't think he enjoyed taking a photo with me as much as Daniel Cormier necessarily. (laughs) Um, But next Monday, we are right back. Full recap of UFC 268. And then we will also preview Max Holloway and Yaya Rodriguez. That is a main event November uh, 13th. Our executive producer is Cody Merrow. Thanks to DraftKings and Onshark and everybody else. Ken Flo, have a great week. You working this week? What do you got this week? I got nothing going on. I got, uh, well, I got my parents in town. They're in in town visiting, which is nice. That's uh, exciting. Yeah, man. All right. A little Halloween. We couldn't get Gus on the pod? Yeah. (laughs) Seriously. Is he there right now? He he just walked in the door somewhere. No way. So yeah, yeah. Is not, he not in your here, office right here. now? All he's right. not. He's okay. not. Because <laughs> if he was in your office right now, I was going to put him on camera. <laughs> we love you, Doctor Florian Inez. Have a great time with the family. Thanks to everybody for listening, for watching, for subscribing. Tell your friends. Tell your fucking friends, and we'll talk to you next Monday. Go later.
I'm Royal Oaks. Next time on Too Many Lawyers, we take on a couple of villains to sort out whether bad stuff is also illegal stuff. George Santos won a seat in Congress by lying to voters, but is that a crime? And Kanye West made it clear he hates Jews. In England, he'd go to jail for that. Here in America, did he commit a hate crime? Listen to Too Many Lawyers on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Now's a good time to remember where the story of tequila started. In 1795, the first tequila distillery was opened by the Cuervo family. And 229 years later, Cuervo is still going strong. Family owned from the start. Same family, same land. Now's a good time to enjoy Cuervo, the tequila that invented tequila. Go to Cuervo.com to shop tequila or visit a store near you. Cuervo, now's a good time. Trademarks owned by Beckley SAB to CV 2024, Proximo, Jersey City, New Jersey. Please drink responsibly.